It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Jay London once said, I told my therapist I was having nightmares about nuclear explosions. He said, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Good. Good. What's happening? What's the subject? Well, our question this morning is... Are nuclear war and Armageddon coming soon? Well, there's a subject for a fine Sunday morning. We're here to cheer you up, folks, this Sunday morning, so stay with us. And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. After this program, we're going to talk about daisies and roses and... (laughs) Jonathan, the Bible often tells us what's going to happen before it happens. Sometimes its prophecies are very specific, and sometimes they're shrouded in symbols. But in all cases, they tell us about the future. So, what is the future? Our world has come to a point where it has the capacity to destroy all living things. What's going to happen with this great power? There are several Bible prophecies that can be interpreted to not only verify this destruction, but seem to graphically describe it as well. Are we headed for nuclear holocaust? Does the Bible verify such a horrible end? Is this all in God's plan? These are heavy-duty questions for so early in the morning. They certainly are, Rick. So, Jonathan, in order to answer such difficult, harsh, heavy-duty questions, we have to call in the uh, the, the National Guard. <laughs> <laughs> we, ha- we have a special guest with us this morning. We've got Len Grice with us this morning. Good morning, Len. Good morning, Rick. Get morning, a little Jonathan. closer to that microphone there, yeah. brother. Um, so, so Len, you've actually been with us uh, a few times before, several times before in the, in, over the years. Yeah, I always enjoy it, and you've so far managed to like it enough that I get to come back. <laughs> <laughs> we always bring you back for some of the hard, hard subjects. Oh, yeah. just, just a little bit of your personal background before we get started. Where are you from? What sure. do you do? And so forth. Rick, I, I, uh, I live now in, in uh, Pennsylvania, down in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I retired about six years ago from about 35 years in the financial world, dealing with Wall Street, dealing with uh, corporate finance and political issues as well as financial issues, anything that affects the economy. And and my background is uh, MBA in finance and always was interested in, in that area. So it's, over the years, allowed me to follow fairly closely and interpret what's good and what's bad and what's sometimes worrisome what's not so worrisome so i still like to follow the agenda from the outside but from you know a christian perspective as you do uh interestingly enough to sort of sort out all the things that we see and determine you know what's reality and so when i hear something specifically or 
some somebody worrying about something, I like to sort of say, well, you know, is there something we can know about it and say, and can we stay above the fray? Okay. So, and you have been a student of Scripture for... Pretty much your lifetime. Yeah, right? pretty much. Uh, my mother was a very solid student of the Bible, and you know she raised us with that same interest. And I think as I growing up in the '60s, of course, that was a tumultuous time, and I tried a lot of different things in the '60s. Uh, you know, as everyone did, the whole anti-war protests, the everything, the scenes that were going on in the '60s. That uh, was a time when you. Uh, the extent of what you did with uh, with things like uh, nuclear holocausts and bombs, where you you were trained to dive under your desk yeah. at school. <laughs> I and, remember that. And now you know, as you think back, boy, I, that was pretty stupid. You know, <laughs> my desk would be gone along with me. You know, yeah. if something like that happened. So, yeah, I've always had an interest in that side. And I would say, if it wasn't for the Christian perspective, I you know, I might enter the fray and running for president. Okay, there you go. So Len, Len is with us here, and <clears throat> we're going to focus on some specific scriptures that, Jonathan, when you read them at the outset, they, they look like they're talking about nuclear holocaust. They do, and devastation. So, folks, you want to stay with us because we're going to go through these scriptures throughout the entire program uh, and just discuss it from a perspective of what is the Bible really telling us. Not what do I feel like the Bible is telling me, not what am I afraid the Bible is telling me. Or what am I I told what right. the Bible is telling me. But what are the scriptures really telling us? Are they revealing a nuclear holocaust in, in the future, or are they, are they showing us something different? So what we want to do, and Len, in the first segment, we're not going to talk about any of those scriptures specifically, but I want to just get from you some background on the whole nuclear situation. So let's begin by outlining the gravity of the world's present military Power. How did we get here, and where are we going? And folks, if you have a thought, I'm going to give you the number now. I'm going to ask you to not call for the first segment, though, because I want to get this this introduction out. But our number is 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. Wherever you are on the planet, listen to our program and interact with us on the Christian Questions app. Download now in your Google or App Store. So, Len, <clears throat> how did we get where we are and where are we going? Well, the, the nuclear deal, as everyone knew, we've been sitting for several years trying to figure out what do you do with uh, someone like Iran that was right. building up nuclear power and nuclear capability. And everyone knew you know, there was a lot of political discussion around this. And in July, finally, there was a... It, a deal worked out between Iran and six of the world powers, including the U.S. And we know how, how much of a struggle that was, but there was a real crucial milestone that was passed then because the U.S. Congress uh, had failed to adopt a resolution that would prevent that from passing. It could have blocked a deal that would allow Iran to build up some nuclear capability. And so that deal moved forward starting in July, and it, it emerged after quite a few years. There was a lot of diplomacy going on, meetings around the world, uh, and <laughs> negotiating sessions that I think all of us in business that did any kind of buying and selling of companies would be dwarfed by the kind of negotiating marathon deals that were going on. Uh, Vienna became a, a battleground for this. It was very complex and really highly technical, 
And it's typical with any kind of government document, we ended up with about 100 pages on this deal that says the do's and don'ts of what could happen. So if you think about it simply, and I'm not a scientist, and so I try to think in terms of simplicity, it was really uh, and the fear about them building an atomic bomb. That was the biggest concern. Would they be able to do that? And this deal was to prevent them from doing that. When you think about they needed two types of radioactive material right. to build that bomb. One mm-hmm. was uranium or plutonium. And so the, the talks that they had and the negotiations were all around how do we how do we curb their ability to put these two things into a nuclear weapon and allow them to use it for things like nuclear power or things like we've generated. The fear was so great with the fact that they would be able to develop this, uh, that the countries, well, all I can say is, you know, they were willing to compromise mm-hmm. on long-standing principles that, you know, these things wouldn't be allowed in order to just kind of take away that possibility, at least for the interim. It doesn't take away the long-term right. possibility, right. but it's like so much we do in the government realm as we kick the can down the road. Yes. Let's leave it for the next generation. And yes. basically that's what this did is we'll let the next generation kind of worry about this. All right. So so you've got this 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 deal is in place and it, it really brings the whole nuclear discussion back to the forefront of, of everybody's mind all over again. Get, what about some history though? What about the first and only military use of nuclear warheads just just give us, and we don't have a, a lot of time, but but an overview of some of the history. How did we get here? Well, you know, 70 years ago, we had the only experience we had of something like this, and that was the atomic bombs that ended the war with Japan. Right. And it's only recently that now material has been released to understand how devastating that was. And if you look at that and understand it, that's why you can see uh, how difficult it is if you sort of allow that to happen there these two cities of hiroshima and nagasaki that were bombed in 1945 uh huge parts of both cities just vanished and uh the effect of the radiation that came out of those bombs it was so widespread people suffered burns they suffered uh bodies devastated and the Japanese actually even came up with a word, habakusha, to describe it. That word translates as explosion-affected people. Hmm. 200,000 people survived that nuclear, those nuclear bombs, but within a certain area of the sites in both those places, it was so intense, the heat, that almost everything or everyone was vaporized. And, I mean, just like you see on TV. Yeah. They yeah. were vaporized. Now you can see pictures in Hiroshima that have come out of that, that all that was left of some human beings that were sitting on benches near the site of the explosion. The only thing left is an outline. That's incredible. Cement. It's just, and yeah. Humanity can do that to humanity. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, the individual stories that you can read now. And I, I got intrigued with this because of the release of the photographs uh yeah having been worked part of my career as a photographer i was very interested in these photographs and only saying these things were not available until recently to see this devastation 
and you could see uh, a book that was published recently by it was the grandson of the bomber that flew on both those missions and he published a book 246 pages uh, and he was a, a National Geographic fellow and on those he introduces some of the survivors mm-hmm. that were there and the story that is told with them and a brief introduction that he gives of you know how he met them and everything and one of the examples he gives in there is a schoolgirl that was on the outskirts of Hiroshima. She suddenly saw this big flash in the sky on that morning of August 6, 1945. Fires coming all around her and a huge gust of wind, she says, that knocked her out. Well, you go on to read these stories and the descriptions of what happened when they saw this mushroom cloud. We've all seen that on right. TV. Right. You know, it's a very common kind of picture that you see. Uh, victims, she said, passing like ghosts, uh, bleeding all over, skin peeling off, hanging from the tips of their fingers. Oh, brother. Uh, just like you see. I mean, now we have these science fiction movies, and there was real science fiction. Yeah, well, th- that's science reality, Yeah. and now we look at it as fiction. I don't, I don't mean to, to cut you off, that's but, okay. but there's, a, there's yep. a lot to cover yep. in, yep. in a yep. short time. Yep. You know, the United States had the bomb in 1945. Now everyone does. Now, does this mean annihilation is imminent? And that's really what we want to talk about from a biblical standpoint today. Before, before you answer that question, I want to go to a soundbite, uh, because there's... And, and a lot of the sound bites are going to be talking about the the d- dramatics of the whole situation and p- potentials from the viewpoints of a lot of different people. So this is from the last day's nuclear holocaust. We got this off of YouTube uh, to to make a point. Fred, let's go to that. Power that gives energy to all of the universe. We now have understood and replicated. It's an amazing achievement, but it carried with it tremendous danger, and that is the paradox. Can we control what we've created? From the start, it was clear that we could not. In the 1950s, the Soviets and the United States built over 20,000 nuclear weapons. By the 1960s, the threat envisioned by Oppenheimer had become a reality. Every man, woman, and child lives under a nuclear sword of Damocles, hanging by the slenderest of threads, capable of being cut at any moment by accident or miscalculation. So it cuts that off there, but you know, President Kennedy back in the 60s was talking about this nuclear uh, threat of the, of the sort of damage that could so easily be put in place uh, by the push of a button. And that's where it was at that time. So in the next segment, we got to figure out, okay, it was like that 40, 50, 60 years ago. Where are we now? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Len Grice. And our subject this morning, are nuclear war and Armageddon coming soon? Coming up, the return of Jesus is a catalyst for mighty change. What does this return accomplish? And what does his return not accomplish? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Because I feel You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Are Nuclear War and Armageddon Coming Soon? 
We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you could message us on your app. And, Jonathan, as we talk about this, we've got, like you said, our special guest here, Len Grice, who's done a lot of study on Bible prophecy and, and looking at scriptures to try to find out what does the Bible say about them and not to, not what do we think the Bible says or, or what's the most dramatic thing we can pull out of this to make a movie out of what the Bible says. <laughs> right. But what's the real truth of the matter? So we're going to be looking at some specific scriptures starting with Second uh, Peter 3.10 in this particular segment. But before we go to that scripture, it has to do with the Lord's return and so forth. Let's go to uh, some drama. Let's go to, it's from uh, the Vendor 101, uh, the aftermath of worldwide nuclear war. Imagine a day in the not-too-distant future, a day when your world is turned completely upside down, when the planet that we all live on is thrown into a fiery hell, everything you ever knew burnt to ashes, the people you enjoyed your time with dead and gone, nothing more than a distant memory of the past. This day is when worldwide nuclear war breaks out. So, Len, in, in that in that soundbite, he's dis- or maybe even a mistake. Nuclear That's exciting. Real- he's trying to interrupt <laughs> us and go further. <laughs> he doesn't want us. To he does. He doesn't want us. To well, we'll get back to that soundbite next segment. But but Len, he's describing something that physically could really happen. Yeah, and you have to feel for someone that is sitting out there seeing these things happen, and that's what spurred me on to sort of look at some of these scriptures, because uh, if you're uh, someone sitting wondering, you know, where does this lead, and you hear the things about nuclear war, uh, it's devastating, and, you know, you can you can go crazy. And I think Einstein made a great statement back in 1948 when he saw the nuclear the power of a nuclear weapon, uh, he said, the unleashed power of the atom has changed everything, save our modes of thinking. Thus we drift towards unparalleled catastrophe. Now that was a great statement, but he said elsewhere, and sort of thinking about this last soundbite, he said, I do not know what weapons World War III will be fought with, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. <laughs> Einstein was very insightful. He saw that you know man could use this in a really devastating way. And so I think that's really the issue we have here. And recently we had an incident in Philadelphia where uh, someone that's a, a similar to yourself, and I mean that not in a disparaging way, Rick. <laughs> oh, well, that's good to know. Okay. <laughs> but he was uh, someone that has a radio show and discusses Bible prophecy. But he made a prediction based on follow-up with some things a while ago, and I think you did a show on Harold Camping and yes, all his yes. prophecies. Well, he picked that up, and he predicted that September 28th, the Lord was going to return. September 28th, 2015. 15, yeah. The, the September 28th that passed. Yes. Okay, just making that point. That that would uh, be the last day of the world, and however it might come, you know, that that would be it. The world would be destroyed. Well, here we are again, a month, month later. Yep. Yeah, still there. But it's another one of those that's gone by. So I think it is good for us to kind of look at some of these uh, scriptures and say, you know, what's the real message giving right. here? Is it really literal? Is it 
descriptive are we to take something else out of it? And I think that's what we can do with these uh, scriptures that we'll talk about today. All right, so let's start. Second Peter 3.10 is one of these scriptures. And folks, listen carefully to the words of the scripture. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth, also the works that are therein, shall be burned up. So, Len, you read that scripture with the backdrop of the soundbite we just heard about the fire that consumes everything on the earth and the melting of things away and the, the, the literal physical description that you were giving of what happened back in 1945. And you say, well, wait a minute. This scripture sure sounds like the earth is headed for becoming this this massive ball of nothing because right. we destroy it. Right. Is that what this scripture is saying? Well, if you just read the surface, and that's the problem, sometimes you just look at it and say, well, here's a literal interpretation of what it is. Uh, it sounds like it would be. But when you look at other at translations of this, and you know, we're blessed in our day because we don't have to look at one version of the Bible, or when I say one version, one translation. And I think you've had on this program several times uh, uh, one of our uh, associates, uh, Jim Parkinson. Yeah, you and he actually were right. on with us back in uh, July. Back in July, and we did. And Jim has done extensive work on translation and comparing different translations, manuscripts, and all those things we have today, which are really prolific in trying to find the the, the correct and most accurate portrayal of these pictures and this is one of those where uh, it helps us to understand when we look at the more accurate idea behind this Uh, so let me just read how that translation uh, reads from a composite of all the manuscripts but the day of the lord will have come as a thief in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall be dissolved with fervent heat and the earth and the works that are therein shall be exposed or discovered. All right, so so really there's two major differences in what you just read. One, it says the day of the Lord will have come as a thief in the night right. versus the will come as a thief in the night. And then the last portion of the verse, the original translation, the King James Version says, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, but you said, and the works that are therein shall be exposed or discovered. Right, and that's really... Uh, the translation of the word that's used there is uh, more accurately meaning exposed or discovered. In other words, uh, being able to understand what's going on and seeing around. It's not burned up, we think about as being destroyed. And this is more the idea that they'll be laid open, really. And that's the thought behind the the translation here when we look at it uh, from a composite of the more accurate translators that, uh, we're talking about the very day we're in when all the works of the world are being discovered or laid open for everyone to see. Okay, but one of the things about this scripture, though, is it says, The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall be dissolved with fervent heat. So right. you've got the heavens passing away with great noise. Sounds like an explosion. And the heavens and, and the elements shall be dissolved with fervent heat. Sounds like the aftermath of something like that could be nuclear. What, how, do you, how do you put that in perspective? Well, if you think about, we've got the two elements, heavens. We talk about the earth being burned up, and you could see that. But how do you destroy the heavens? 
Okay, well, that's a good question. Right. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to say it must mean something else. It must not mean the literal heavens that we see up there, because no matter what kind of a nuclear device you set off, it's not going to reach 300,000 miles away and destroy those. So we have to look here for a different meaning in the word heavens, and that's what we have many times in Scripture is a, a picture, a drawn in picturesque language. It's like Jesus talking in parables. Those weren't literal people. Right. There was a lesson behind it. Right. So we have here the idea that one of the signs that Jesus will have assumed some control over what's going on in the earth is that the heavens, well, what are the heavens if we think about heavens are the religious elements of our society because that's really what represents the spiritual realm. So those uh uh, spiritual elements of our society, as well as the works on the earth, which are, you know, what we have on terra firma, the governments, everything else, those things are going to go through some very significant changes. They're going to be dissolved. They're going to be broken up. And Rick, when you look around today, it's exactly what we but see that happening. Is what's happening? So to 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 encapsulate what you just said, what you're telling me, what you're telling our listeners, is that the heavens. And the elements are actually symbols of something else. They're not literal. Right. Okay. It, because it just if we try to interpret them literally, we have all kinds of difficulties explaining how that would happen. All right. Now in the next segment, we're going to get more deeply into that statement because I'm going to I'm going to let you off the hook on that statement <laughs> without a lot of explanation okay. because it's really easy to look at a scripture and say, well, that's just symbolic, not literal, right. and then say, okay, we're fine and move on. Why is it symbolic and not literal? Next segment, we're going to get more into that because there's other scriptures that are going to bring up this same issue. So, folks, he's not off the hook. He's just given a little bit of a reprieve for a few minutes <laughs> on this. So, let's let's look at the context of the scripture because that's the other thing. And you know, Jonathan, that oh, your favorite word. My favorite word is context because when you understand the the body that surrounds whatever statement you're pulling out then you can get the meaning of that statement much more clearly. And the context is going to help us here. So, folks, again, we're talking about it, the question, is nuclear holocaust coming to planet Earth sometime very soon? If you have a thought, question, if you're afraid, uh, let us know. Give us a call at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So let's go through the context. Uh, the context is Second Peter. We're going to go back to chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 8. We're going to read through verse 13. We're going to read it in pieces. And Len, as we read each piece, I'm just going to look talk to you about you know, sort of summing up what the apostle is talking about and where he's going with this conversation, because this will help in the revealment process. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So... Let's get started with that part of the scripture. Yeah. Uh, I, when it says the Lord is not uh, slow uh, and he's not wishing for any to perish, that tells us right there that it's not God's plan to wipe out everyone. 
Yeah, or, or the other conclusion would be that God has a lot of wishes, but doesn't have the power to make His own wishes right, come true. Right. Which okay. We, which we know God, you know, God is in control and He uses uh, different means to get there. The the point is, liken it to when it says God is not slow, because we think in terms of seconds and minutes. And now, you know, people get a text in and they have to pull out their phone and look at it right away. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think you're probably as guilty of that as anyone, right? Yeah. yeah. Pretty uh, okay. much. Okay. Let's move but, on. <laughs> but think about it. Think how long God is willing to wait for his plans to be worked out. He he doesn't have that. If God, we believe, is infinite, God has all that time, and he's willing to work that out in the stages necessary to do it. I liken it to someone that uh, we're driving a car down the road, and you're driving a car down the road, you can only see what's happening in front of you, maybe a couple hundred feet, a couple hundred yards. But when you're in the heavens, and you're flying over in a plane, you're going over a road, you can see, boy, that guy is driving up the road. There's a truck coming the other way. If something doesn't happen, they're going to collide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can see that, but the guys down there can't. Right. And so the accident can happen. And if you had the power to to be able to move that or change something that would prevent that from happening, you could do it from that standpoint. I think that's the way we look at the way God works. God works slowly, but he works powerfully. And he does it in a way that uh, has events occurring that that execute his plan, but people perceive he's not doing anything. And that, to me, is one of the greatest keys. Our perception is, that, well, where is God? Right. And the answer is, he has that, that heavenly view, and it's a very long-range plan, and he's already got it in place and moving forward. Right. All right, let, let's see if we can... Plow through the scripture because the segment's already running out of time here. Go ahead, Jonathan. But the day of the Lord will have come as a thief, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall be dissolved with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be exposed or discovered. So that was the theme of scripture. So it's interesting. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, he already said that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. So the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period but a very long period, and it comes like a thief, which is another odd thing when you think about the way that the, 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 uh, all of the advertisement of the return of Jesus. Yeah. The idea here is a thief creeps in, but a cre- uh, they spend their time knowing the lay of the, of the land right. and understanding what's the best time to do things. And a true thief, if you watched any of the movies, I used to love the movies with, with uh, Cary Grant, and he played, you know, played a jewel thief in one of those movies, and he was so meticulous at sneaking in and sneaking out because he knew everything around knew everything. him. Yeah, you know, you're, you're coming, no one knows that you were there, and that's quite different than what we see portrayed in the popular right. media about, you know, with this sudden flash in the skies. All right. So, so I don't mean to interrupt you, but yep. we got. Let's finish the scripture. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So is that saying that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth? Well, uh, I ask the question when I look at that, why would God create new heavens? What's wrong with the one he's got? <laughs> so if you're not going to create new heavens, 
he's not going to create a new earth, but he's going to put a different social order on earth. That's really what I think it's about. So the context of the Second Peter 3 verse really does hint toward the idea that heavens and earth really are symbolic because you have a new heavens and a new earth replacing exactly that. And, and, and so that's something you've got to look at and consider very carefully when you ask these questions. Is the world going to melt in fervent heat? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan, here with Rick, with our special guest, Len Grice, and our subject is, Are Nuclear War and Armageddon Coming Soon? Coming up, Old Testament prophecies seems to graphically portray nuclear worldwide desolation and destruction. Is this God's warning or not? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is Our Nuclear War and Armageddon Coming Soon. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 866- 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. Jonathan, we get incredible reviews from listeners who have signed up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. It's a free service. It's available through your app or through ChristianQuestions.com, and it gives you a summation of each and every program in a PDF file format that gets emailed to you. A link gets emailed each and every week. Rick, there's graphics, illustrations, the bonus material. There's so much to it. It is really a great, great tool. So try it out and see if you'll like it. Seek your Rewind, the full edition, exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, we, we talked about the Second Peter Scripture, and we threw out an idea, symbol, symbolic, not literal. We didn't back it up as much as we could have, so we're going to need to do that this segment. But, Jonathan, we want to introduce a couple of other scriptures this segment to begin that process. Another problem scripture, I will call it, is Isaiah 34.10. It shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. And again, Len, you look at that. I'm not going to ask for your comment quite yet, but you look at that scripture and it sounds pretty devastating. So with that thought of devastation in mind, let's enhance the devastation thought. (laughs) Like, oh goody, right? (laughs) Let's go back to the Vendor 101, the aftermath of worldwide nuclear war. Whether it is intentional or maybe even a mistake, nuclear war is a real possibility. Countries such as Russia, the US, France, China, the UK, Pakistan, India, Israel and North Korea are all believed to have the weapon, and not just a couple. They are believed to have hundreds, some even thousands. So what would the after effects of nuclear war be? Well those at the hypercenter of the bombs that were launched would be the lucky ones. They would be instantly vaporized. After the initial destruction, enormous fires created by nuclear explosions in countries across the world caused hundreds of millions of tons of smoke to rise high into the stratosphere. In a short amount of time, this smoke spreads like the darkness of night across the world and forms a dense layer blocking the sunlight trying to reach our surface. The thick blanket of smoke remains in the stratosphere for many years and the world we once recognized becomes cold. 
the smoke thereof shall go up forever. That's what the scripture said, and that's what it sounds like in the soundbite he's describing. So it you does. say, there's an eerie coincidence here, or is he actually talking about Bible prophecy coming true? So, Len, before we get your comments on that, Isaiah 34.10, Jonathan, let's look at the context of that. Isaiah 34, let's go verses 5 through 10. For my sword hath drunk its fill in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Edom, and upon the people of my curse to judgment. For Jehovah hath a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone. And the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever." From generation to generation, it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. All right, so Len, let's before we bring out the next scripture, let's get your your thoughts on that because it sounds devastating, it sounds scary, and it sounds very real. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there, uh, and we could talk about all the problems if you try to interpret this literally. And you've got a choice: you can either say the whole scripture is literal, or you can say. It's partially literal, partially symbolic, or you can say the whole thing's symbolic. Okay. Obviously, you have a problem in the middle if you're trying to say, well, some of it's literal, some of it's symbolic. So I think you have to choose, is it all literal or is it all symbolic? Okay. And if it's literal, then you have to start right out with the very first statement. that says, for my sword hath drunk its fill in heaven. Well, what does that mean? God has mean a great God big has sword? A sword. Yeah. <laughs> and so there you have, and what heaven? Why Why is there any war in heaven? That's not the place that's the issue, unless it's talking about another heaven. Which so again, symbolic the symbolic, heaven. just like the Second Peter scripture. Right. Okay. And, and so that's why I think so many of these, especially the picturesque Old Testament, has a lot of pictures like this. And Isaiah's prophecy, as we go through his whole prophecy, so much is symbol that you'd say, if you try and interpret this literally, you run into so many problems. So I think that's why we're given places that are symbols of something else based on what happened there. Edom, for example, here, you know, Edom was uh, the descendants of Esau, Mm -hmm. south of the Dead Sea, and that was a place where they migrated, and that was a constant source of irritation with Israel, and it was devastated. But once it's gone, I mean, you know, it's still... Uh, it's still desolate, that area. Mm -hmm. So you'd say, well, but the prophecy is is not about that. It's about something bigger than that. So so what you're saying is Edom was devastated, but the prophecy, while you have a a, a literal fulfillment of the devastation of the literal place Edom, what you're saying is that the literal place Edom has a symbolic meaning of something greater, just like the heavens and just like the sword and just like the day of vengeance and, and all of those things. Right, because... Isaiah's prophecy was given actually after that time period. You can go back through Isaiah when he's talking about this. So it's representing something bigger, Mm -hmm. and that's really God's way of giving a message to us to examine the Scripture and say, what what is he really talking about here? He's not talking about actual brimstone coming down from heaven. He's not talking about uh, burning pitch. Obviously, even in the soundbite, to have that smoke go up for generations and generations, well, you'd have to build a continual fire, and that we don't see it today. Right, right. And it would be there. So I think, again, it's one of these cases where God doesn't is not talking about the end of the earth 
here. He's talking about the time of his salvation, that there's going to be evidence at the time when he's ready to deliver the earth that the generation that's there is going to go through some difficulties as the earth and all its works are exposed for what they are prior to the time he's ready to intervene and set up his own established government. So you're really building on the idea that the earth is representative of something other than the physical uh, trees and rocks and soil and, and water. Yeah. So we're, we're, we need to develop that. Let, let's go to the next problem scripture, and then we can deal with this whole thing. And we, then we've got to really focus on what does it really mean. If it is a symbol, we can't just say that as a way out. No. We have to have scriptural reasoning Absolutely. to prove it. So the next difficult scripture, Jonathan, is what? It is Isaiah 51, verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. Okay, right there. Again, the heavens and the earth. So there's in these first three scriptures, you've got this same theme pounding itself, pounding itself, pounding itself. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Now, Rick, if you had, if it was literally taking out all the people on the earth, then what's the sense of that last statement? My right. salvation shall be forever. Well, who's who's to be saved? Everybody's gone. Yeah. yeah. So I think okay. that, that's the issue. That's but the but issue somebody can argue that those to be saved are those who have already gone to right. heaven. Right. But again, it says the heavens shall vanish away like smoke. So now, right. how do you Where handle? You go? Right. And folks, that's the issue: is how do you deal with these scriptures that sound so darn scary? Right. In terms, when we see the reality around us of the potential for worldwide destru- destruction and the potential for literally seeing these kinds of difficult things happen. And Rick, we see contradiction constantly if you take it all literally. Right. And Rick, uh, just one scripture I wanted to put in there. It's a one. Ecclesiastes 1 4, Solomon makes a statement that's pretty powerful. You know, he says, uh, let me just read it, and this is from the New American Standard Version. He says, uh, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And that's a prophetic statement in a way, because it's true, and I think that's the point is God is not, didn't think he made a mistake with the earth. It's, you know, the generations that come and go, and and his intent is for that earth okay. to be there. Let, let's look at symbolism in Scripture then. Based on that, So because if the earth abides forever and the earth is going to be melted, the two don't mix. Right. So how do you get this all to work? What about the heavens, literal or symbolic? Len, you've been saying they're symbolic, they're symbolic. Let's find some scriptural backing for that. Jonathan, what, what scripture? Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So, again, Len, when you look at heaven, we automatically think of heaven as God's realm. But this is spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Do they live in, you know, the, the closet in God's house? Yeah, and are we talking about ghosts and things like that? I don't think so. I don't think God was concerned with that. When Paul makes this statement, uh, Paul's talking about the forces that control the higher elements of our life. And I think in those cases, uh, we have seen in our day, again, go back to that first scripture, the exposure of all the, 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 
the rulers, the powerful people, those in religious realm who really aren't operating in the best interests of man. And I think that's where he says we have spiritual forces in in heavenly places, but those heavenly places are the ruling powers of our own earth. Okay, that's important. The ruling powers of our own, our own earth. That's what Ephesians 6.12 just right. told us. So these are religious powers. Religious powers, even and, and even uh, political powers, because they're heavenly, they're ruling, they're, they're powerful from above down to those below. What about the earth? Is that literal or symbolic? You've got that scripture in Ephesians that gives you a sense of heavenly places being a figure of speech. What about the earth? Psalm 33.8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And then Micah one twelve one two. I'm sorry. Hear, O people, all of you, listen, O earth, and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So, Len, looking at those two scriptures, they both talk about the earth. How, how does that all fit together? Well, I think it's talking about, uh, again, uh, as Solomon said, the social structure of the world. The social structure of the world is made up of people. Right. You know, that's society. Really, yeah, society. That's right. So the inhabitants of the world are what God is focused on, and the earth itself is God's creation. Man on the earth as it currently is, is governing that creation, but not in the way that God would have it do. So, so in that Micah scripture says, listen, O earth. Right. Now, the earth can't listen. Right. And that's why when you look at scriptures like this, you say, okay, there is a sense of symbolism. Listen, O earth, O the social structure of man. Listen, all the things that you've built up around you and, and the way that you operate in society, listen to the word of God. Right. So the heavens, it does fit that you have the heavens as a symbol and the earth as a symbol. And just, we're almost out of time here for this segment. Another quick scripture about the Old Testament using the symbol of smoke. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. They vanish like smoke. So smoke doesn't have to necessarily mean something is burning, but something is vanishing. That's, and that's what, Len, you were saying. The heavens, the ecclesiastical and governmental systems of the earth are going to vanish away like smoke. So, folks, as we wrap up this hour, you obviously have to stay with us for the second hour because we haven't even touched the scriptures that talk about the people. What about the people? Is nuclear war heading for earth according to biblical prophecy? In the second hour, we'll be discussing more further details on scriptures and very specific understanding of what God's plan really is. For Jonathan and Rick and our special guest, Len Grice, we'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, nuclear war in Armageddon coming to earth, a planet near you? Stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Richard Bach once said, and this, this is a great quote for this program, what the caterpillar calls the end of the world, the master calls a butterfly. Good morning, folks. Welcome back to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not 
your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, uh, our subject this morning is what? It's a scary one, Rick. (laughs) Our, Our question is, are nuclear war and Armageddon coming soon? And our theme text is found in Matthew 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So we're looking square on at the question, are nuclear war and Armageddon coming soon? We're looking at specific scriptures that seem to indicate the effects of nuclear war are actually going to happen. That's what the scriptures seem to be indicating. We have a special guest with us this morning, Len Grice. Good morning. Thanks for being with us again for the second hour, Len. You're welcome, Rick. You didn't run out of the studio after the first hour. That's a good sign. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the coffee, too, by the way. <laughs> so, so, Len, in the first hour, uh, we, we talked about some, some scriptures specifically, and you were really focusing on the idea of symbolism in those specific scriptures. Just kind of recap what the symbolism was. Sure. Uh, we talked about uh, in each of these, the earth, the heavens, and the earth were a common theme. And we tried to ex- show how heavens and earth couldn't be literal because it wouldn't make sense with some of that. So the heavens represented this kind of the spiritual powers that govern the people, however they may be, religious or non-religious, the spiritual powers. And the earth really represented society in all its forms and in all its organizations, whether it's capitalism, socialism, however earth is organized. And those are the way those scriptures, if you look at them consistently that way and applying those rules in interpretation, each of those scriptures then makes sense in a way, different way that uh, the earth, works of the earth are being exposed so that everyone can see what happens in our day. Uh, They don't say it's the time of the end of the earth, but they do indicate it's a time when God is going to act on things after this and uh that's really the whole point is this is not just random events but there's a message behind it that says this earth and the way it is today is not what god intends for it to be for the future and and the idea that these things are symbols that the earth is a symbol of the the social order and incidentally just a side Side note on that is the, um, the 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 seas are often a picture in scripture of the restless masses of humanity, yeah. and the scriptures tell us that. And so, if you've got the social order, the established social order as the earth, and the seas as the restless masses, what this is saying is the best of what man has set up socially has got to be dismantled. That's the message of these of these. Uh, uh, um, uh, the, these prophecies. And Christ's kingdom will replace it. And we're going to really get to that later on in the program. But but folks, we want to reference you to uh, a two-part program we did, I don't know, six, eight months ago. Uh, Can You Know the Mind of God? Because in one of those two parts, I can't remember which one, we talked about Bible symbolism and how important it is to understand prophecy by understanding the symbols that prophecy uses. And wouldn't you know, the Bible tells us what the symbols means mean, but it don't, don't tell us in every single prophecy. Right, right. So, so you have to go find it. Right. So that's part of this. So let's get on to another scripture. You know, prophecy also seems to depict the personal human torment and destruction produced by nuclear fallout. It seems to predict that. Is this also God's warning? Well, our next scripture that creates an issue is uh, Zechariah 14.12. And this shall be the plague 
wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And th- that's just gross. I'm sorry. That's just gross. <laughs> and, and, and Len, before we ask you to comment on that, we want to uh, go to another soundbite that sort of promotes the fear of great nuclear holocaust. This is a, uh, uh, again, this is from Levi Price, a prophetic warning of billions going to die in nuclear holocaust. Let's listen. You can call me crazy if you want. You're going to see catastrophes like the world has never seen, and billions of people are going to die on this earth. Time is running out. Suddenly and quickly, mass destruction, mass catastrophe is coming. Billions of people are going to die on this planet, and you may get caught in it before you have a chance to get your heart right with God, and that is the fear that I have for you. Len, you're just well, nodding your head. What a message. Isn't that a great message? No! It's <laughs> a matter of fact. It, it's, it's the scare tactics saying such bad things are going to happen, you better get yourself right. Yeah. And we read the scripture, it says, you know, God is love. Uh, obviously, God doesn't want you to serve out of fear or make changes out of fear. It's because what's in your heart calls you there. So that's the challenge. When you, you know, anytime that someone is preaching fear as a motivator, we've known from behavioral psychology that that doesn't work, even with animals. It doesn't work. Okay. So, 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 good, good response, good context for putting things in in order in terms of the character of God, and I think that's the that's the one thing that we probably haven't talked about enough yet is God's character. Is God's character one to say, "I am Almighty, I am all powerful. Let them all just be dissolved in this massive mushroom cloud of radiation, heat, and 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 destruction"? Is that the character of God? And, Len, you keep saying, no, it's not. This is all symbols. So, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think what's the best way we can determine what God is like? And that's by looking at Jesus. Jesus said, his own statement was, I and my Father are one. Now, he's not talking about we're the same person, but he's talking about the fact that, you know, our motivation, what we do. He says, I do the will of the Father. Jesus was only expressing love in his ministry and he was not about destroying people what did he say to the people you know he rescued them from their despair and said you know go and sin no more yeah that's really what he wanted he wants that it was captivating their hearts and that's really what god is after all right so let's look at this zechariah fourteen twelve scripture you know flesh consuming away and eyes falling out of their sockets. I mean, just really gross stuff, okay? But let's look at it through the eyes of the context of that scripture. So again, Len, we're going to go through the context. We'll break it in pieces and just ask you to respond in in each area. Zechariah 14, we're actually going to read verses 9 through 15 to get what verse 12 is saying. So let's start with verse 9, Jonathan. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name, the only one. So... In that day, what, where, where are we, do you think, when it says in that day, Len, in terms of prophecy? Well, in that day, uh, it, you can explain it with another scripture in First Thessalonians 5, because we had that scripture earlier that said, 
you know, that Jesus' return would be like a thief in the night, you have almost an exact statement like that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-4. And I want to read it again from the translation that I mentioned earlier. For, for yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the night. Now that's important because he's saying, what is that association? It's the day of the Lord. Right. What does that mean, the day of the Lord? Isn't every day a day of the yeah, Lord? Yeah, okay, good point. Well, there's a specific thing attached to this day of the Lord. It says, when they are saying, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall in no wise escape. Again, sudden destruction, what does that mean? But also a key in there is saying, come on them like travail on a woman. Well, what is he talking about there? Uh, all of us have gone through childbirth with our wives, and you know what happens there. You go through a series of really devastating events until yeah, the actual thing happens. Devastating is a good word, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's exactly what yeah. we've seen in our day as we've looked at these other scriptures, things being exposed, the threats coming, and people worried about things, and each thing gets, seems to get resolved and patched. But the whole point is, uh, once we get to the point where everything in the world looks fine, no problems in it, says they're not fine right. because the hidden sources behind them, there are problems that just don't go away. Right, and the and baby hasn't been born yet. The right. new day has not right. been born yet. Okay, let's go now and plow through the Zechariah 14 scripture, verses 10 and 11. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimon, son south of Israel, Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it, and there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. So, Len, this sounds very, very literal. It's just, I mean, you're talking about a very specific location and so forth. Just a quick comment on putting that in the context of the rest of the prophecy. Well, there is a, uh, one of the points of this is it's associated with uh, Jerusalem. Yes. Well, that gives us a key because Jerusalem, we know, is God's city. God says it's his city. And it means that we should look to that area. Jerusalem, I think, is a symbol of the entire realm of Israel and God's uh, concern over that nation. And so here he's identifying this day of the Lord specifically with what we would call today the Middle East, (laughs) the area of Jerusalem. And so I think that's really the picture there. Benjamin's Gate, those were all part of the Mm -hmm. original uh, uh, temple. And so all those are being associated with God's city. It means that God is active in this. So somewhere God's activity takes place when it's evident that something is happening around the nation of Israel and and, uh, Jerusalem. All right, so this happens in a fight around Jerusalem. And now let's get to that verse again. Jonathan, read that uh, verse 12 and verse 13. Now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. It will come about in the day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them, and they will seize one another's hand, and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. So it's talking about a plague. So it's not talking about a bomb, right. but a plague. 
So just and and again, our, our time is starting to shrink right. down. But w- what's being said in those two verses about the eyes and the sockets and and all this gross stuff happening? <laughs> yeah, here? that's pretty. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? Uh, if you think about if this is symbolic language, what do those things represent? Flesh, eyes, tongue. Flesh are people. Eyes, what do you use eyes for? To get information, to see, to operate. And a tongue is what you say, and it's the actions that you take. So I think it's a symbol, again, of all those things that are being said and done surrounding uh, something associated with the final battle of earth which is around jerusalem and we're going to actually talk about that in the next segment the the battle of armageddon how we're going to do the battle of armageddon in 15 minutes is beyond me but (laughs) well and the plague also is important because we we do have information about plagues those are the plagues of egypt Mm -hmm. and we know that those came from god yes and so i think the identification here this will be the plague which the lord will strike think about how those plagues worked they didn't necessarily see they were from god they just happened. Right, and they Pharaoh were, right. said, oh, this is just something my magicians can duplicate. Yeah. But there's examples we could take in history if we had the time of where certain miracles have happened and, you know, true natural means that have delivered to people. And so uh, I think that's here what we're saying is God is going to take this very seriously at some point. Okay, let's finish up these verses 14 and 15. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also, like this plague, will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. So, Len, in just 15 seconds, you've got this plague spreading to the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle. What's going on here? Well, I think that those are all means of transportation, of activity, of war in the days of, uh, certainly the days of Zechariah. And it's a picture of all the elements that are used in battle uh, against God's enemies will be dealt with and turned away. Just like the plagues of Egypt dealt with the the things that Egypt had. So God is using these plagues with the messages God is protecting Israel, God is protecting Jerusalem. That's the message of Zechariah. It's not about a bomb. It's not about an explosion. It's about God's literal protection for the glory of this plan to continue. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Len Grice, and our subject, Are Nuclear War and Armageddon Coming Soon? Coming up, we all know about Armageddon, but do we really all know about Armageddon? (laughs) That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Our subject for today is Our Nuclear War and Armageddon Coming Soon. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And if you have a smartphone and don't have our app, what's up? <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> Get that app for your smartphone. It's, it's a, another great, great tool. And again, it's a free service from Christian Questions. So, so a, as we progress in this, we, we want to get into Armageddon for a, a little bit here and what Armageddon is and what it is not. Because, again, when you look at hype, 
the Bible is a great place to get hype from. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can you can get all kinds of dramatic things out of the Bible that don't really exist. God doesn't need dramatics to make his plan happen. He just makes it happen over time. There was a movie back in 1983 called The Day After. And I want to touch on that because that was some of the dramatics of the fear of nuclear war. So, Jonathan, just read a couple of lines on a description of this movie. The Day After is an American television film that first aired in November 20th, 1983 on the ABC television network. It was seen by more than 100 million people during its initial broadcast. It is currently the highest rated television film in history. It's amazing. The film postulates a fictional war between NATO forces and the Warsaw Pact that rapidly escalates into a full-scale nuclear exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. And it was such a dramatic film that right after the film, Ted Koppel got on to his program, the ABC News program afterwards, and they did a panel and discussed it. And I just want to play a soundbite from the beginning of Ted Koppel's program to discuss this, because this was a fictional film that they took an hour to talk about in a, in a, in a news environment. This is an ABC News special edition of Viewpoint. Here now, reporting from Washington, Ted Koppel. There is, and you probably need it about now, there is some good news. If you can, take a quick look out the window. It's all still there. Your neighborhood is still there, so is Kansas City and Lawrence and Chicago and Moscow and San Diego and Vladivostok. What we have all just seen, and this was my third viewing of the movie, what we've seen is sort of a nuclear version of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Remember Scrooge's nightmare journey into the future with the spirit of Christmas yet to come? When they finally return to the relative comfort of Scrooge's bedroom, the old man asks the spirit the very question that many of us may be asking ourselves right now. Whether, in other words, the vision, the vision that we've just seen is the future as it will be, or only as it may be. Is there still time? And actually, that's a great way to sum up this whole conversation that we're having. Is, uh, is this nuclear holocaust a vision of what will be, or what could be, what is actually in God's plan? Our next scripture, Jonathan, before we go to the phones, is Ezekiel 39.6. And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that dwell careless in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, a fire. Again, nuclear war has a great association with very, very devastating fire. So is this part of God's plan. Let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Good morning, Carol, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Um, this kind of question kind of blew my mind because I've never heard about the nuclear and the Armageddon. I did, I, for some reason, my religion does not want me to read Revelations, but I have. But in saying that, um, do you believe that this, they say global warming, hor bad hurricanes, the bad floods, the bad fires, all these catastrophes, and these people do say that this is the beginning of the end. All right. So your question, really, to concise question, is global warming and all of these things, yes. weather, are they signs of the end times? Right. Okay. Good question, Carol. Uh, we're going to ask Glenn to comment on that along with his comments on Armageddon. So we thank you for the question and the call. Thank you for taking me. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. All right, so Len, we're adding, I'm giving you an, a major, major task here in a, just a few minutes. <laughs> Good luck, brother. <laughs> How do you put Armageddon, what it is, in perspective with what it's not, and with Carol's question as well? Okay.
Uh, well, the scripture that we read here takes us to a time when the Bible says, you know, there's a, a great war coming against Israel and against Jerusalem and calls it this time of Armageddon, uh, a place where God brings nations together to deal with them. And uh, we have here mentioned this term Magog, which is a mysterious one people have been trying to figure out for a long time. Simply, if we go back to Genesis 10, and which has a table of nations and how everyone came out from, from Noah, uh, Magog are really those countries that are descended from Noah's son Japheth, the kind of the Western world. Uh, the Western nations of Europe, including the Americas, maybe Australia, New Zealand, all those that became the Western part. What it really represents is just a part of the world saying that, again, when we read these other scriptures, uh, that everyone is going to be involved at the end. It's going to be a demonstration for everyone when God deals with the the political, social elements of our world today. And that, and that's kind of where these previous prophecies we were talking right. about all kind of right. take place. Okay. Now, global warming is an issue, but it's been an issue for a long time off and on, like many issues. And I think that's the way we have to look at it. We could go back 2,500 years and global warming was an issue then. And global cooling was an issue. So all these things are issues and really are just part of what we deal with as a world. God is looking at a much broader view and saying that, you know, what God is doing to prepare elements for his future and and having man in a, in an ideal situation that's what we can't see behind the scenes we see the surface of it and uh rather or not there's a there's a some kind of a local war uh those are all possibilities what we're seeing here is the big picture knowing that god is not going to destroy the earth god is going to deal with the social order of things today and rectify it in a way that will demonstrate to everyone that this is not his world, but his world is coming. All right, so a couple of things. First of all, you, you make that statement with such conviction, God is not going to destroy the earth. And in the next segment, so folks, you've got to stay with us for the next segment, because in the next segment, we're going to give you prophetic proof of that, very clear prophetic proof of that. But until then, we have to deal with the issue at hand. And, and the issue at hand is Armageddon. And, and the scriptures that we've talked about, and, and you know, Len, we haven't talked about every single scripture that could be interpreted as nuclear holocaust. First of all, just a thought question from you, an opinion. Um, do you think that there is nuclear, uh, a, a nuclear event in the future of Earth? I'm going to just, uh, this is an opinion because I know you don't know. Right. But what do you think? I, I would not rule out some rogue group. You know, having a bomb saying we're going to set this thing off, all we know is that God is not going to allow that to devastate the whole earth. Okay. Other than that, we can't be certain because whenever we try to predict something, uh, it's usually going to be wrong. Predictions <laughs> don't work out. Just like we had with Hiroshima and Nagasaki that we talked about at the beginning, you know, that was a very devastating blow. What that does in some scenario uh, could be on a limited basis, but what we do know is that God is not going to allow the earth to be destroyed in the way we heard. I remember that program the day after. Yeah, so do I. I remember where watching the, whole the movie. The world is devastated 
in a nuclear war. We right. know that's not going to happen. And the interesting thing about that was it was United States versus Russia. Right. There's the two superpowers, and that's what you were talking about at the very beginning of the program. Right. Is that's where we were, but where we are now is a very different scenario. Oh, yeah. You think about think of the analogy of two big battleships in, a, in the water, and you've got two battleships. You can see your enemy, and you can... Everything that that enemy does, you can counter right. counteract, and that's really what that was in the days of the Cold War. What do you got today? You don't have superpowers. The last of the superpowers, the United States, you know, hasn't demonstrated uh, that capability anymore to be, really control. Yeah. And so you got all these little lifeboat, not lifeboats, but little little PT boats out <laughs> in the water. And they're all going in all kinds of different directions. And they have the nuclear weapon. Yeah, and there's a danger of clash much greater than when you had these two big battleships. But the thing is, they're small boats. They're not the huge ones, and so that's the difference. But, uh, so then the danger actually is greater at this point because instead of having the the checking of the balance of power, if you will, between two great superpowers, you have a lot of rogue powers that that can wield the same kind of power. Right. So now let's let's get to two things. Let's get to fire because fire is an important symbol in scripture, and then let's get to Armageddon and what you think Armageddon kind of looks like, what it feels like, and what it's not. Because again, you know, you can you can create such a a drama. A fearful drama out of scriptures by taking. Like Carol mentioned, you know, reading the book of Revelation. Yes. If if you read the book of Revelation without a sense of understanding biblical prophecy before you get to Revelation, it's downright scary. Because you're not going to get what it's talking about without the background of understanding how biblical prophecy works, and that's why we try. All the time to let the Bible interpret itself. So let's just talk about what fire is a symbol of. Just a couple of scriptures on that. And then, Len, I want to go back to you painting a picture of, of Armageddon. So okay. Psalm 21, 8 and 9. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will devour them. So it, it really is a symbol of destruction there. Yeah, not literal fire, but a symbol of getting rid of them somehow. Destruction, fire is the biggest destruction we know. Right, and, and fire in Scripture does two things. It can either destroy or it purifies. Right. You know, when you have gold tried by fire, gold is purified through intense heat because it needs to have things separated out. And you remember, Rick, when we talked about that one scripture with the smoke yes. dissipating. I mean, smoke comes out of fire, and it's, it's a symbol that that's destroyed, and the smoke dissipates because there's no longer any fire. Right. So it's gone. It's literally right. gone. Malachi 4.1, again, another scripture that gives you the same sense. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So again, Len, it's there will be chaff, and that means they've been reduced to absolutely nothing. Right. So fire is not a biblical symbol of torture and torment, but destruction. Right, and it's not indicating a nuclear bomb right. necessarily either. And, and that's another right. another important point. Okay, so... Len, we've got about three minutes left in this particular segment. Armageddon, what is it, what is it not? Okay. Uh, well, God, Armageddon is not 
destruction. It, it's generally thought about as conflict between nations and ideologies, and Armageddon has become a term we use for everything. Yes. I mean, we've used it in all kinds of ways, even the the recent tie-up in China with the for 12 days when all the cars were on the on the uh, highway. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. They called it Carmageddon, <laughs> you know, because it's it, it represents something that you can't escape, and I think that's how it's come to be used. But Armageddon uh, uh, has been a symbol of kind of worldwide turmoil. The news media uses it a lot uh, when it talks about battles to end all battles and destroy the earth, as we've heard on these. And that recent movie that we've had depicting it, but they really don't understand the origin as it's pictured in the book of Revelation, like our caller said. Armageddon's a biblical term that's used in Revelation, the closing book of the Bible, but it's associated with the very thing we've been talking about, the battle of the great day of God Almighty. That's in Revelation sixteen fourteen. Revelation's a book of symbols. Yeah. Uh, names are used for a purpose to point out something associated with it historically. Interpreting Revelation literally just runs you into all kinds of problems. Yeah, big problems. So so you're saying that the Battle of Armageddon is not where the world converges in this great battle that ends in total, utter, complete destruction. Right. But the, it's a much more a smaller thing? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying it's a much greater thing than that because well, it involves okay. God. The word Armageddon is of Hebrew origin. Now, that's a signal to ourselves because Revelation was written in Greek. So it's something uh, that's associated geographically and historically with an area in the land of the Middle East called Megiddo. Right. Megiddo was a strategic position in the Holy Land, and it commanded. It was an important pass into the country beyond it. And the general locality was a great battleground when Israel... Uh, with Gideon and his 300 men routed and defeated the Midianites, and King Saul defeated the Philistines. So historically, looking back at what happened, uh, for example, we say that uh, Napoleon met his Waterloo, and we've used that now as an example. Well, Jonathan met his Waterloo. Uh, Okay, Okay. What does that mean? Well, that's where Napoleon lost his battle, and that's what was the end of Napoleon. It meant that... uh, a sudden and unexpected defeat. And that's really what Armageddon is. Uh, Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo caused such significance that it was attached to that battleground. So with Israel, they fought battles there uh, in this area of Megiddo, and that's Armageddon. Uh, it was associated with Israel's battleground and the symbolic meaning of Revelation so that you know Armageddon is somehow associated with Israel and the deliverance of Israel at the end of our age. So it's focused on Israel, not the, the world at war, but but much of the world against Israel, and focused on something you said really important, focused on deliverance. Yeah, there was one really outstanding characteristic of Israel's battles, and uh, it never has been true of any battles that's fought between other nations, and that was that God took a hand. And he overruled the victories and defeats for them in miraculous ways. And so that's really the key to understanding what is the future 
and the battle of Armageddon. That's so the greatness of Armageddon is in the hand of God moving to protect Israel, not in the drama that we'd like to create in the movies. Okay, once you have Armageddon and you don't need nuclear war, what is going to be coming after all of that? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Len Grice. Our subject, are nuclear war and Armageddon coming soon? Coming up, post-Armageddon, resurrection, day of judgment, peaceable kingdom. What happens the day after tomorrow? What is the final solution that God has for the world and its people? Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is Our Nuclear War and Armageddon Coming Soon. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And don't forget to interact with us on our Facebook. And you can tweet us at CQ Net Radio. So, Len, as we begin to wrap this program up, you, you had said something earlier in the program about God's view versus our view. You used the illustration of driving down a road and we can see a couple hundred yards in front of us. But God way up there can see the whole road. And you had mentioned in the last segment that Armageddon, the good news of Armageddon, and we never hear about Armageddon in the context of good news, but you said the good news is God's hand is in it for the protection and deliverance of Israel. Right, right. And, and through Israel, after Israel, it's the deliverance of the whole world. But following Armageddon, the scriptures say after God has devoured, it says, all the opposition, and we use these terms fire, we use the term jealousy, which is real zeal rather than jealousy, mm-hmm. that God is active. It says he's going to turn to the people of pure language. That's very important. So it doesn't end with Armageddon. there got to be people left. Right. The purpose <laughs> is to get rid of the old and bring in a new. Well, does that mean he's going to teach them a different language? You and I are going to be speaking some other language other than English. I don't think that's what he means. Pure language as opposed to the things we've been talking about here, the evil language, the difficulties, the the tongues that we talked about earlier, those pictures that speak speak evil, all those things are changed. And that message, uh, Zephaniah gives us a message on that where he states, uh, all will call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. That's God's purpose in the whole thing. Get rid of what's there now and bring the people to be able to serve him in the way that he intended. And so often biblical uh, um, uh, biblical thinking goes along the lines of destruction, and then that's the end. But you're saying this, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a better Armageddon, a new chapter, Armageddon not an end. has a happy ending. And, and that is so unorthodox. And, and let's, let's, just, let, let's do something a little bit different here. Let's go to a soundbite. This comes from 1970. That's all I'm going to tell you. Listen to this, and this will kick off the next phase of our discussion on nuclear war in Armageddon. There's a brand new morning, and clear and sweet and free. There's a new day dawning that belongs to you and me. Yes, a new visions of 
Mama Cass Elliot, 1970. Ah, yeah, you got to love it. <laughs> but the vision was great, and you know, that's really what people want, and that's what they're going to get. So what you're saying is, uh, the aftermath of this conversation about nuclear war in Armageddon, you can't discuss those things unless you discuss what's the next chapter. Because Armageddon, you've clearly said, is not the last chapter. It, it is simply a chapter, and there's a new chapter. And when she sings about a new world coming, coming in peace, coming in joy, coming in love, and you know, it's just around the bend and all of that stuff, it, it almost sounds corny. It almost sounds like a childish dream, like, oh, if only we could live in peace and harmony. But the scriptures actually tell us that that childish dream that may, may, may sound corny, is actually a reality coming down the road. So let, let's take a look at some scriptures here uh, that, that show us that as an after-event of this Armageddon and all of these things. Zephaniah 3, 8, and 9. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. Oh, wait a minute. I thought we were reading about the nice, happy, av- happily yeah. ever after. Boy, if you stop there, you know, you say, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's, that's it. trouble. Right. But, but that's why your idea that you got to look at context of a scripture is so important because the very next verse. Okay. Verse 9. For then I will give to the people purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. So it's showing a chapter after. Yeah, and that's the the thing. The destruction is not for the purpose of just, you know, pouring out God's anger on everything and taking a handful of people and saying, you know, you're okay, but the rest of you are done. This says the earth is there. Now the purpose of gathering those people together, and we could talk a whole program on what it means by gathering. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that in our day, is so that God can show them who he is. Because it says here, uh, what's the purpose of that? When I rise up as a witness, well, what is a witness? It's what you, how you reveal yourself, how you t- teach people the right thing. And that's what God is really doing in Armageddon. He's witnessing that he is there, he is all-powerful, but it's not for destruction. It's to lead them to what's right. So the witness to God's character is the willingness, the plan, and the ability to destroy that which is evil so God's character can bring in that which is good, which was his his original design and intention. Right. Zechariah Zechariah tells us that in verse 14, 9, he says, Jehovah shall be king over all the earth, and that day shall God be one. And his name won. That's so the purpose. And, and there's, there's a very broad statement, king over all the earth. That means there's no part left out. And, and, you know, and that gives you a sense that, okay, so nuclear holocaust cannot wipe out the earth because you have something happening after all of the destructive parts of, of, of the plan that God allows. Now, God's not bringing the destruction of mankind upon mankind. God is allowing mankind to bring the destruction upon himself. Satan uses the tool of fear and misapplication to take what God has written, given us in prophecy, so it can be misapplied and misinterpreted to create fear and anxiety and that that sense of, and you said it before, Len, the idea of, of, of drawing people to God through fear. That's not the way God Almighty works. 
Right. All right, let's go to another scripture because this is really the fun part of the program. Psalm 22, 25 to 28. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Len? Well, that's a, a, exactly what it says there in Zechariah, and we read here David prophesying of it and singing to it, that what's the purpose? Uh, God's purpose ultimately is to bring a peaceable kingdom where everyone can can have that kind of joy that we heard in Mama Cass's song. Can't wait. <laughs> well, fin- and, finally, God will get the praise He deserves. And, and you know that's that's the thing that gets so lost in all of the interpretations. You go to YouTube and you type in Armageddon or or you know nuclear war, and there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of scary things that come up, and it's all about the fear and what if and the what if and the what if. But what they don't see is the after effects of all of this because it all is under God's control. God allows evil and he allows it to develop in whatever way it wants to develop so that it can be shown to be evil, it can be shown to be short-sighted, it can be shown to be unrighteous, and then God puts it away. And this next scripture you're going to read, I think, is a a great scripture. Everyone should listen very carefully to this scripture. All right. So, Jonathan, you're on. Micah chapter 4, <laughs> verses 1 through 4. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Okay. So, so Len, it's talking about mountains here. Mountains. Uh, Jesus used mountains to represent kingdoms. Okay. You know, and and that's really what we have pictured over and over in the scripture is a mountain represents a kingdom of some kind. So if you use the Bible keys for prophecy, understanding what means what, these prophecies are no longer uh, obscure, but they speak very loudly and very plainly. So the mountain, the kingdom of the house of the Lord will be the chief of the kingdoms of the world. That's what this is saying so far. Okay, go ahead. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, so now now, now what's developing from the, the, the governmental standpoint? You have God's kingdom there. Now, right, now we're what? seeing how that's going to process that God is going to give the word from Zion, which... If we look at Zion, I mean, Zion is another popular Bible term. It generally means the the heavenly realm of God's kingdom will dictate the laws. And those laws will go out on the earth. And Jerusalem is always the picture of God's city. So it goes to the earth and out from the earth to all the nations. So if you get the symbolism, now you're seeing a clear depiction of how God's kingdom is going to work. So this becomes a really exciting prophecy because you're saying, wow, they're showing us the details step by step of what's going to happen. So so what's next? And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each one of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, with no one to make them afraid. 
for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. All right, so Len, how does this particular prophecy wind up? Well, uh, that scripture that you have there, I mean, that's what's on the outside of the United Nations building. Mm-hmm. And that says that, you know, they turn their, their uh, swords into plowshares. Well, what does that mean? It's not going to be literal. We know that they're not going to pound them there. But it means the, the weapons of destruction will be gone. And now instead of weapons of destruction, they'll be reaping uh, a harvest of the earth. And pruning and plowshares are meant to sow and to sow good things, not bad things. So man will have finally uh, what he wants, and that's the ability to govern himself under uh, laws of equality coming from God. Okay, Len, thanks for being with us. In 45 seconds, sum up everything you've talked about here. (laughs) Don't fear. Armageddon is for a purpose of bringing about true... Uh, true hope and promises that this is not the way God intended the world to be. And there's a purpose behind it, but when it's over, it will bring about blessings, not destruction. And we know that if we understand how to view Bible prophecy. And folks, that's the whole key. You can read a prophecy and get scared to death But once you read the prophecy, understanding the symbols of the prophecy, it begins to fit into a logical, sequential picture of the unfolding of a plan that God has. Len, thanks again for being with us. Thank you, Rick. Really appreciate it. Folks, listen. Armageddon is a scary term in our world. Don't let it frighten you. Nuclear war. That Look, that's a legitimate scary thing. And what the scriptures are telling us is that whatever happens in this time, in this age, with the things that mankind has created for destruction, is under the watchful eye of God Almighty and will not get out of hand to a point that it's not recoverable. So there is hope. There is great hope. It is scriptural, and it is God's plan for the world of mankind. For Jonathan, Rick, and Len, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We will be back again next week with another subject. But till then, nuclear war and Armageddon, see them differently. Till next week, think about it.